What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, you seen any ghosts lately? <laughs> Kids see them sometimes. Just, just occasionally, not all the time. We're going to be talking Kanye and Kid Cudi's Kids See Ghosts project they dropped this week. We got, also got Father John Misty, Wi-Fi's Funeral Ethernet album, which just a very confusing name to me. <laughs> It's a good motif. I'm, I'm proud of that. It's, a, it's a, definitely an interesting one. And we'll be talking Oceans 8. But first, subscribe to the pod on iTunes, SoundCloud. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching us. Give us feedback, rating, and review on iTunes. All is appreciated. We love and appreciate you very much. Let's start, though, with something that decided to take a gap year. Game of Thrones. Doing a little traveling around the world. Breathing a little bit. Just finding itself, really. And figuring out what's the next step for Game of Thrones yeah. here. That's why it's not on yeah. this year. Right. <laughs> so, Dave, it was announced, I think today, actually, that Game of Thrones is going to do a prequel. Not not today? No, it was like last, last week. week. Okay. So, <laughs> Friday. I, I was just not paying attention last Friday. Uh, that Game of Thrones is doing a prequel pilot called Age of Heroes, where it's going to be looking at some of the, the folklore of the Game of Thrones universe, the, the, the stories about... You know, kings that reigned for a hundred years and knights from a thousand years ago, things like that. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I, when we talked about spinoffs, I don't, I don't, I think we talked about wanting something from the past, but not really being super specific about what that looked like. What would you want to see from this? Yeah, I mean, when we talked about the spinoffs, there was a lot of options and thoughts around that. Everyone had one. I mean. Some people thought Robert's Rebellion was like a, a safe pick because it's kind of close to when the show starts and there's some familiar characters that you'd recognize. You could maybe keep the young Ned Stark actor from the Game of Thrones flashbacks and just have him be in it. But that would probably play more of like a limited series, right? Because you kind of know how it ends. I mean, there's so many potentials. such a rich, vast world. So much lore from George R. R. Martin that you really could have done anything. The, uh, the Dance with Dragons probably too expensive for tv would be awesome the doom of valyria how valyria fell like there's so many cool ideas for thrones but age of heroes actually makes a ton of sense now that we hear about it because this is like ten thousand years you know this is like basically the prehistoric times for game of thrones when history starts you'd get like brand the builder and alan the clever so like you know people think brand the builder there's many famous brands right and land the clever is like the ancestor for the Lannisters and you, we could see how the wall was built and perhaps the last hero or Ezra High any of those like messianic figures from different religions we could see them manifest in this the Night King yep. by most accounts used to be a Lord Commander of the Night's Watch we could see like that first Lord Commander and Night King was originally around that time so we think there's a lot of people we've heard about from this and ex some of them are expounded upon and like that uh, Westerosa, the the world, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire uh, world book. Some of them still more obscure, so there's a lot of potential. But I think this is really cool because this is a show that could go on as long as possible. I mean, they, they said that they were going to commission a bunch, or at least see out to write a bunch of different spinoffs, but I don't think they're going to have more than one going at a time uh, just because it's kind of an ambitious you know, effort. So maybe they have the Age of Heroes. It starts off well, and then this is Thrones. This could go four or five seasons easy because there's never-ending time for the show to keep going. So I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I agree. I like the idea a lot, especially because, I mean, I don't know how they're planning to tell all these stories, but you could have you could have an anthology series uh, type thing. You could have, like, 
pick two stories per or two people like per season that you're kind of following and how those two stories intertwine you can do a lot of things with this different lore and and just the different time periods that these people or these characters are are written in jump ahead 100 years check in on that house that early you know manifestation of that house and see a few generations later like i mean if they wanted to do it that way they could there's a lot exactly. of options. you could even do like a bottle episode like where you just you hear one little story you check in show what that was like for that one episode and zoom back out it, it gives them a lot of flexibility in, in terms of the ones that you laid out there brand the builder i think is an obvious one that people really want to see mm-hmm. land the clever and the, and the night king i think are the three that it would make the most sense for them to explore but i could see them even starting somewhere with a character that not a lot of people know about just to establish what this is going to look like and not put too much expectation on any of these early stories and save those for a little bit later as they move through. It'll depend on how they conceptualize it. So exciting stuff though. I mean, there's like notable characters, you know, people from that time from houses that like died out. So they'd effectively be a new character, a new type of you know, two type new families, quote unquote, for most of the audience. Mm-hmm. So again, a lot of potential for this. I'm really excited for it. I also want to say to your point about not having other spinoff shows concurrent, I think that makes total sense because in a way, like Game of Thrones is always going to steal the attention until it like Westworlds itself to the point where either it becomes too confusing or people are just tired of it. Oversaturation mm-hmm. is not something that they need to do. Like they don't need to throw a lot of stuff out there because people are always going to want more and that's a good place to be in. Ask Lucasfilm. Yeah. What happens when you saturate a little bit? Exactly. Let's jump to some music here. Talk talk to me about our guy, Wi-Fi's Funeral. First of all, love the name of his album, Ethernet. Mm-hmm. Just not only does it sound badass, but just makes so much sense in terms of like his name, I guess, and what he's going yeah, for. Definitely. Where did this guy come from? He has, he has like, what, one mixtape? He has, I believe, two mixtapes. Uh, the Blackheart Revenge, which came out uh, last last summer. Uh, no, sorry, that's his first mixtape from fall 2016. So, he, you know, he's relatively new. SoundCloud Rise, like many of his contemporaries, also from Florida. Then had When Hell Falls, and then The Boy Who Cried Wolf, which came out last summer, got reviewed by Pitchfork, really got some critical buzz off that one. And then Ethernet just dropped. And I mentioned him as my 10th selection for XXL Freshman. Check out that video we have up on our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button and you know tap the bell for notifications so you don't miss those videos when they come out but hexxl still hasn't dropped yet but i still think he's very worthy pick and the reason being is once again on ethernet his fourth official project he demonstrates that he is a a really skilled rapper with uh i think a very entertaining flow and he can you know he can really uh rhyme them together he doesn't he's not a mumble rapper i, I feel like most of the rappers we talk about are not mumble rappers he's no. a very competent guy mm-hmm. and i think his songs are fucking bangers a lot of them I think my favorite song is probably the lead single 25 lighters it's pretty good i think that that song bangs and then the song uh was the only pill in the world you know the activist i thought was pretty cool he did a classic uh young rapper thing where he collabs with little skies so he just calls the song little skies funeral because you know just put the names together it's try and true method and skies brings it on that but overall i think it's just once again another proof that wi-fi can spit and he won't go away i think he'll be around a long time even if he gets snubbed by xxl yeah his flow was the thing that stood out to me most in this and the way he kind of changed up from song to song in a way it kind of sounded like he was trying to figure out like what's my direction on this and some of it sounded a little bit i don't know almost like he was trolling at times like some of his (laughs) lyrical content but Overall, I just thought like he really seems to have um, 
not only lyrical ability, but just a way to, to present it that's uh, intriguing. And I, I don't know how old he is, but it seems like he's uh, up like beyond his yeah, years he, in terms of how he he'll be twenty one. He's twenty one. Okay. He's young. Yeah. So he's. I mean, I was impressed with how he how he spit it out there. Um, do you think he's? I mean, I know you picked him as number ten. Do you think that he's going to be able to sustain this sort of uh, success with? You know, it, there's a lot of really up and coming rappers, and I don't know if mm-hmm. there's enough lanes for everybody to get the attention. Like, you think he right. could be popular? Is he going to be like middle tier? Uh, I think it'll be middle tier. Not everyone can become a star, even if they're capable. What I think that'll mean is he can still command a lot of streams and tour successfully for a long time, you know? And for a lot of people, that should be good enough because it's very, very lucrative still, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, do I expect him to be a star? Not necessarily, but it also wouldn't surprise me. A lot of guys have ascended really fast recently and, you know, it'll happen again. Travis Scott's um, a great example of that. Yeah, sure. Definitely. A little pump. Yep. Even faster. Not not to Travis's level, of course, but right. it's huge. And Uzi, I mean, 21 Savage is just like in the game now mm-hmm. he's just a, another atlanta rapper you know he's not right. even like a new kid anymore so anything can happen especially for these florida kids that uh, continue to just pop out of nowhere so i, I would say middle tier but it wouldn't surprise me florida the state that gets clowned the most somehow producing these <laughs> rappers who are just blowing up it's amazing so your guy father john misty last year he dropped this album pure comedy uh shout out the needle drop Melonhead. Uh, gave it his no- made it his number one album of the year. We Strong reviewed nine. it and we said it's long, it's a slog, yeah. and seventy uh, minutes. It's not not really that interesting. I did not like it at all. Yeah, a lot of it missed the mark. It was a tough listen. Some of the songs were okay. What you how did you feel about this this follow up album? One year later, God's favorite customer and pure comedy. Father John Misty, like he he has. Some people say he's like self important. But like I mean, he he does you know have a message, but I just didn't feel like it was very compelling or interesting on pure comedy, and on uh what's this one called uh, God's favorite customer, yep. his his fourth solo record. You know he's still a, a really egomaniac of sorts, but I think because the the album is li- livelier and also lighter as a result, it's just much more compelling and fun to listen to. Yeah, it's... so this is my my first you know project of his I really liked. Like there's a lot of songs that I just thought were really enjoyable on this. Yeah, you know. Pure comedy was like a it was a huge swing. He was going for a big idea and a big social commentary that I think in in a lot of senses not only where the country and where I think a lot of people were at, but also just the way he talked about it wasn't anything that really caught people. Um, this is a, a lot smaller. Uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, "I Love You, Honey Bear," which was his 2015 album, which really kind of—I uh, mean, he was already on the map from Fear Fun, but that was his, his probably his best album to date. It's a lot more focused. Um, it kind of goes back to his more folky indie roots than pure comedy, in my opinion, um, while also still taking chances. And it also lets him be funny, you know, which I think on pure comedy, where when he was funny, it was around these really heavy ideals that made it kind of uninteresting um and not really hit so well so i I give him a lot of credit for being able to kind of back off from pure comedy and create a lane here yeah you know the songs that stand out to me most are um like uh, date night i think is great also i Mm -hmm. i I really thought that was going to go in a uh um what's the name of the song true true affection it sounded like it was going to go become true affection from the beginning that just goes right into the the acoustic and i was like nice like that was a a great 
twist on it. Um, also, the first song, Hang Out at the Gallows, really yep. stood out to oh. me as a great track. Um, what, what songs did you like? I mean, I like those two as well. And then I also like Mr. Tillman. Yep. The beginning of the album is very strong. Also, the last one, uh, We're Only People, is, I, I thought, a really well-written song. Um, and it gets to be funny on this, too, which I like. I think on those three songs in particular, like, like you notice the keys. It's like it's more upbeat drums. Yep. And the vocals are just more lively. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I, I cannot stand any, like, soft rock that's, like, fucking soft. Like, yeah. Really folky. You know, I just it just bores me to death. I can't do it. But this you know, has a lot of components of that, mm-hmm. but it's just more more lively, more compelling to me. So I was a big fan. Yeah, even a song like um, like Please Don't Die, which, uh, you know, it, kind of a heavier topic, but he, he presents it in a way that's funny, and you can just hear that he just seems to be more behind these songs. It seems like he really likes what he's talking about more, so definitely made the album more enjoyable. Um I just really love, love Father John Misty. Pure Comedy was a, was a miss for me, but his other three albums are great, so I really highly recommend this this one. Um, we're going to be talking about some other indie and rock albums in the next couple of weeks that have really been great that we just haven't had a chance to get to with all the backlog we have. Uh, so stay tuned and subscribe to the channel to get all your great rock review content. And also go look at our discussion from a couple of years back about what happened to rock music and why, uh, why yes. it is where it is. Cause I think it's pertinent to the, these bands that are coming out now. Year old video still incredibly relevant and more or less accurate. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Let's talk about kids. See ghosts. Obviously Kanye's in week three going on week four of his music rollout of late May into late June, middle to late June. And this might be possibly the best project he's released yet. You know, he released Jay last week. He produced all of Daytona, Pusha T's latest album the week before. This is his collaboration with Kid Cudi, which he's been talking about doing for a couple of years. You know, I alluded to, to Turbo Graphics. 16. Yeah, 16 before. And this is finally, you know, them coming together. They've obviously collabed on songs since, what, I mean, might be full Dark Twisted Fantasy or even before. No, um, welcome to Heartbreak. Uh, right, welcome to Heartbreak. Yeah, it's great. And then he got signed to Good Music after that, Cuddy. So th- they've been working together for a while, and they always, whenever Cuddy shows up on a Kanye track, it's always great. I mean, you think uh, maybe not always, but you think about Gorgeous. Like that's Gorgeous. one of Kanye's best songs. Welcome to Heartbreak is wonderful. Um, Father Stretch My Hands Part One. Um, the uh, the Cruel Summer collabs. The, o- the only one that really is kind of forgettable to me is uh, Guilt Trip on Yeezus. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 when you mentioned that a couple weeks back, I totally had forgotten that they even did yeah, that. Yeah, I forgot song. about it, too. So, you know, this actually really blew me away. Um, because after Ye, I was a little bit concerned about this. You know, Ye had some really great moments, some not-so-great moments. Um, and it felt a little rushed at points. Um, while I really liked Ye mm-hmm. and... I still have been listening to some of the songs off it. Um, I was worried that he was going to rush this one and it was going to come out a bit of a mess. And I think it's actually the exact opposite. It feels like he was spending so much attention to detail on this and Daytona that Ye was kind of like the afterthought for him in a way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Ye feels very stream of conscious, uh, the least cohesive song to song. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that any of the beats are bad. They're not. But... You could, t- I mean, he's he's talked about it. He's he re-recorded a lot of yep. the vocals, you know, a lot of d- 
dated lyrics about Stormy Daniels and Tristan Thompson, for example. So it just his headspace for Ye is different from these other ones, and yep. that doesn't necessarily mean that Kid See Ghost was canned, you know, weeks ago. I'm sure he was. They were working on this till the end, but mm-hmm. um, I just think they captured the vibe they were. They had a vibe they were going for. Yeah. You know, I don't think Ye ever really had that. I, I absolutely agree with you. Now, Kid See Ghost, you know. Pusha tweeted a couple weeks before Daytona dropped. Kanye's been chopping. And this is kind of where I want to start talking about this. Because some of some of the songs he pulls on this are from literally out of nowhere. Um, on Fire, the What Will Santa Claus Do? I think it's like a, a Lou Primo song or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. Incredible beat, beat flip. Unbelievable. <laughs> like, And also, I mean, he's sampling a Christmas song from like the 40s on this. like, And somehow yeah. it makes total sense into the song. Like, unbelievable. And then he takes Burn the Rain, which is a Kurt Cobain song that was re- mm-hmm. recorded just a, like for him personally, just his own recording, that was used in Montage of Heck, a documentary about Cobain from three years ago. And somehow this like makes this awesome last song on, on Cuddy's Montage, you know, just unbelievable how he's able to think about these things and, and build them into the song so seamlessly. Um, what else stood out to you about just the production element, I guess? Uh, you know, it's in, how would you explain these beats in terms of, you know, other Kanye stuff, even Ye? Because I think it sounds kind of like Ye in a certain extent. Like uh, Daytona obviously mm-hmm. was very, um, you know, very i don't want to say dated but it had like an older vibe to it yeah. with that bigger louder production that mm-hmm. would fit pushes braggadocious raps yep but kids see ghosts and again more vibey um mm-hmm. more atmospheric but also still feels kind of contemporary you know yeah i mean what would you compare this to because i saw a lot of i saw a lot of yeezus talk going around and obviously like the jarring yeezus stuff doesn't apply here but mm-hmm. i don't know it kind of makes sense Yeezus makes sense. Um, you know, it's it has like a psychedelic sound to it in a mm-hmm. way. It infuses a lot of rock. You know, especially a song like "Free uh, Ghost Town Part 2. Um, I mean, they they basically took samples from this guy called Mister Chopped and just put put the guitar samples in there, and they fucking bang, dude. This song is so good. Um, yeah, I, I, it's very lived in, and it I, I think actually a lot of it goes to the sense of like place like you really feel like you're on an, like in their heads on this like you hear you see Kanye where he's at and you see Cuddy where he's at and both of them are at very different stages of their mental health journeys I think that's a lot of what this yeah. record oversees but mm-hmm. Cuddy provides this real sense of peace and calm throughout and Kanye gives this very like chaotic feel when it, whenever he jumps in mm-hmm. but the thing I got to give Kanye credit for in this his bars are actually really good in this yeah I think that that comment makes a lot of sense. Like it's like chaotic good and chaotic evil, right? Yeah. Like they 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 con- uh, sorry uh, they uh, you know complement each other so yep. well because of that. And Cuddy's been open about his mental health struggles for a number of years. And I don't think I wouldn't say Kanye's open like open about it. You know, it's like it's not like he's really digging deep in that. He's just kind of bringing it up. Or <laughs> you know, sometimes on Yay, I think it, you can kind of risk stigmatizing stuff where he's just kind of either using it as an excuse you know he's on his whatever bullshit or mm-hmm. you know um you know the all three perks whatever you know he's a, a lot of like references to it but i think on this he at least he doesn't like use it as a crutch this time and while 
I don't know if he'll ever really, really get into that. I think it's it's fine. Um, but yeah, to your point about his lyrics, I thought his verse, Kanye's verse on Reborn, um, is probably a better verse than he has on damn near anything on Pablo. I was going to say, maybe since My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And part of that is his uh, like his energy on the song. He doesn't feel as fr- uh, frenetic, doesn't feel as um, you know angry or reactionary mm-hmm. the way a lot of his other stuff does. It just sounds very measured and again, it feels kind of out of place, doesn't feel or sound like the Kanye we've come to expect the past few years. And God, is that refreshing? Yeah, you know? it, and it's actually he sounds very like clear headed, like almost as if, um, like what he really has been like thinking about and has really been able to process in his mind, it, it comes out in this album. Whereas, like you said before, Yay is his like stream of consciousness, just like whatever comes to his head is like what he's putting down on that. But this seems very thoughtful, like a song like Cutting Montage, where you, you know he. I don't know if, if it made it into the beginning, but the, you know, everybody wants world peace until your niece gets shot in the dome piece. Like that, that's, that's like the first time you I can remember him really looking at like the perspective of somebody else, someone else's plight in the world at this point in time, since I don't know, maybe on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy movie, when he was talking about uh, all the lights, like uh, public visitation, we met at borders, you know, he's talking about, Mm-hmm. That, that sort of situation um, it just is really refreshing to see Kanye not be caught up in the moment as much and looking a little bit more introspectively and also a little bit more at what's going on in the world and being able to talk about it in a way that makes sense is really like kind of miss old Kanye now yeah especially coming off of the lyrical content of violent crimes where he's talking about the sexualization of his daughter that yeah. he can't even name um, so yeah. you know one week later you get this and you're like wow um so i don't want to again i don't want to give him like too much credit for acknowledging his mental health i don't right. i still don't think he's doing that well mm-hmm. but overall the this collaboration is such a success and i mean we think about recent collab tapes in the rap sphere uh it's by far the best one i mean this is better than what a time to be alive from drake and future this is mm-hmm. better than Without Warding from Offset 21, it's better than Huncho Jack from Quavo and Travis. It's better than Super Slimy from Future and Thug. Like, yep. and that's a lot. Those are a lot of heavy hitters. But this actually, this one actually really feels like the two need to be together. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, we've had this as you said before. We've had this for a number of years. You know, from time to time. I mean, Cuddy hasn't been on good music for a while now, and you know. I think my very first thought about this is, wow, Cuddy or Kanye really coaxed Cuddy into his first good album in seven years. It's been a long ass time. Uh, didn't you feel like Free was what Cuddy really wanted Wizard to be? Like that's an interesting point. Yeah. I, I really, I really feel like he was looking for something uh, to capture in Wizard that he really needed Kanye in a way to maybe pull out of him. And I think Cuddy brings some sense of of understanding and calm to Kanye that almost helps him mm-hmm. access like lyrically what he struggles to when it's just him, you know, without any, any kind of border or any kind of sure. structure to him. Uh, it, it's also interesting. Cause I feel like the features on this album were a lot better than uh, yay. I mean, I think the singing on yay is just like, like Todd dollar sign and Charlie Wilson, like 
Yeah. I, I exactly. want that played at my funeral. But like R- Rick Ross seemed a lot more lively in, when he showed up on free in this. Most deaf um, at the end of Kids See Ghosts, I thought was also a really great feature. Or, uh, yeah, feature verse. It's Ty Dolla Sign again yeah, on this one. Amazing. Like Ty Dolla Sign's having uh, a moment here with, with these songs. So um, just overall, this project just, I liked it a lot. Where does it rank between the three that have been dropped for you? That's tough. It is. That's tough. See, the thing about all of these albums, as seven-track albums, 20 to 25 minutes long, roughly, right? The highs stand out because there's, by design, less of them. Yep. And also the misses or the duds really stick out as well because there's less songs to cover them up. I probably would defer to Daytona on this mm-hmm. just because I think Daytona is a little more is is more focused. Yeah. And there is no song on Daytona I wouldn't listen to, you know? And not that Kitsy Ghost is far behind. And, you know, maybe I'll listen to a Kitsy Ghost song like uh, Reborn more than anything on Daytona. We'll find out, you know, over time. But I think Daytona as an album definitely feels like it was the one that was it was in the oven the longest. And I think it'll age the, probably the best. Yeah, I completely agree. Daytona is still my number one out of these ones. And it's probably top five for me for albums in the year. You know, Dirty mm-hmm. Computer, Golden Hour up there uh we're gonna talk about parquet courts but their album wide awake is up there for me um so kidsy ghost might be top 10 end of the year might just miss the top 10 but really just encouraging to hear these two artists that i i loved back in college kanye i've continued to love cuddy i've fallen off a bit just shine and, and put out a project that's this coherent and this excellent really mm-hmm. yeah i agree something that I'm interested to see if you felt it was as as you liked it as much as I did. Um, Ocean's Eight, Gary Ross's uh, sequel, I guess. Well, I don't even know how to describe. It. In the same universe as the right. Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen, um, which I didn't I didn't realize that those were dropped around uh, December. Uh, at least the first two, and then mm-hmm. the Thirteen was dropped in June, and also had the lowest grossing box office, which I found very interesting. But yeah, Gary Ross, so he's the director of The Hunger Games, Seabiscuit. I left the movie theater with probably the biggest smile I have all year. I found it very fun. I don't think it was great, but it was fun. And that's really what I was looking for from this movie. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very good. I think it's very fun. Probably inherently low stakes by design. Right. But I think it's incredibly enjoyable. There's really nothing nothing I disliked about it at all. But, you know, to your point about the original Ocean's trilogy, those came out in 01, 04, and 07. And they, of course, starred... George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Matt Damon. And your guy Don Cheadle. And yet, Ocean's 8 outgrossed all of their opening weekends. Ocean's 8 made 40, was it 41.6 million this past weekend. And the highest earner for, for the original trilogy was Ocean's 12 and 04 with 39. And I found that very interesting because I thought, like, you know, early 2000s, Clooney, Pitt, and Damon, all really hot, big actors back in time when a lot of people still went to the movies a lot more than they do now. Mm-hmm. I just found that very surprising. Now, the Ocean's Eleven from 01 did make $450 million worldwide. I'm not sure if Ocean's 8 can do that because it didn't make a lot uh, worldwide, uh, you know, internationally this past weekend. But either way, uh, interesting to see. And before we get into the film, you know, it, it's been frustrating watching these, like, female-led casts every time they exist they have to prove the bankability 
and viability right. of their whole gender every single time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just so tired of that. I mean, the Ghostbusters reboot in 2016 was plagued by this. And some people were like, oh, why are they re- uh, rebooting this? They didn't have to do this. Bernie Mac's rolling in his grave. And I'm like, oh, you mean the Oceans trilogy that remade the original Oceans 11 with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis? <laughs> Let's step back on that. But I think we're finally getting to a point where people are like, oh, yeah, women can be the majority of the cast and it's not a female movie it's just a movie you know whenever there's a movie with all men and the only women is a love interest no no one cares it's just a movie to them right yeah it's the same thing here and and it's funny because richard armitage if he was a woman he wouldn't pass the bechdel test in this movie either but it's it doesn't matter that's his role but yeah to the movie itself i agree with you i think it's a really fun heist movie i think it kind of captures what made oceans 11 compelling rewatchable and fun and but kind of twists a little bit on itself with you know obviously a great cast of talented people, and I think it's it's a very successful movie and obviously set up for uh, more sequels. To talk to your point about the female led cast, they even nodded to it in a way. You know, um, there was that part where they're trying to figure out who they who they get, and Debbie Ocean played by Sandra Bullock is like, no, I I don't want him, and they're like, why? No hymns. To, to him, no hymns. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually really appreciated that. Um, yeah, the cast I thought was great. And my, my first thought really leaving the theater was, why don't they just do this every year? You know, like, I wouldn't mind seeing it like an Oceans. I love heist movies. I love these sort of, like, how are you going to get the team together? How are you going to figure it out? How are you going to, like, get, what's the twist going to be at the end? I always really enjoy those. But I think the difficulty is that these casts are just so stacked that to get all these people available at the same mm-hmm. time to interact is just basically impossible. And also it could grow a little stale, sure. I think, if you do too much of it. Right. And, I mean, to that point, not every heist movie with good reviews does well. You don't have to look much farther than Logan Lucky last August, right? True. From Also from Steven Soderbergh, the guy who directed the Oceans trilogy. Yep. So, and I think this movie had to be attached to a sort of IP, Oceans, mm-hmm. I, Oceans 8, to get all this big name talent to justify the, I think it's like a $70 million budget, which is not a ton, but it's still not a Blumhouse movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's still expensive. Yeah. Um, that was actually I the mean, thing I liked least, though, was that it was tied... Uh, directly like the callbacks to Danny Ocean being dead and that that didn't right. really play well for me I, I go ahead right and I, I was interesting because a lot in a lot of the press tour they've been kind of pushing back on comparing it to the old trilogy and all those questions but yet the movie can't quite get away from that you know I mean what's his name the amazing amazing Yen, uh, Yen? Yeah. he's in the movie and Matt Damon's Linus also had a cameo that they later cut I think after downsizing comments right um, but either way, like it's still very much lived in it. Like there's many callbacks to Danny, like you said, and uh, Debbie's whole family. So again, I, I do agree that's a weak point. I think in Ocean's Nine, they can probably get away from that. Um, but I mean, let's go through the whole cast, all eight of them. I mean, yeah, uh, obviously a very talented group of uh, a- actors, all with great success. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, who, who really stood out to you? I thought they all were good, but who really stood out to you? I had three people that really stood out to me. Number one, Kate Blanchett. First of all, I don't remember like ever seeing Kate Blanchett in in a movie and not liking her. But I was also trying to think how many movies have I seen her in, and the only one I can really think of is Thor Ragnarok, Re- Lord know, of the Rings, Lord of the Rings as well, obviously. But I'm thinking like recently, like it's been been a little bit. Uh, she was in was it Carol or Brooklyn? I forget one of those. Um, Brooklyn is like my my most forgotten Oscars movie of the last. I don't know, <laughs> four years, whenever it came out. Um, 
but she was great. I mean, she basically was, she played Lou, who was basically like Rusty for this movie. Exactly. Um, and it's a, such an awesome role to play because you just get to be really cool and basically just like be there and be the person. I wanted more things. of her, honestly. Yeah. That, that was the thing is with a movie like this, there's so many good people. You have to give them all mo- moments. Someone that got a lot of screen time and had a pretty big role, Rihanna, I thought, was excellent mm-hmm. um, and really did not expect her to be like that awesome as an actor. I think she's only been in a couple of films and uh, every scene she was in, I thought she was really good. Um, and Helena Bonham Carter also yeah. for me, I was like, huh, it's nice to not see you doing a Tim Burton movie and just getting to be you. Exactly. That's my thought because she's obviously a... a um eccentric actress mm-hmm. that she plays into that but she's also really talented um bellatrix lestrange yep. look no further right she she plays weird people yeah and not that she's not doing that this time but i think it's it's a not an unhinged performance this time mm-hmm. i think it, it goes over uh, very well i agree yeah instead of being you know the queen and um alice in wonderland where you're playing like this very specific character. She got to kind of just be a human being who is a little quirky, but still like, you know, very human, which I, I really appreciated. Um, you know, also someone that I really liked Sarah Paulson, which mm-hmm. I, I also f- was like, this is the first time I can remember seeing you and being like, Oh, this is like Sarah Paulson getting to like be a, be a person as well. Even though she obviously is like this criminal and like, all these people are criminals, which is also like the weird part of this. But like, I, I think about her and I think about her on like the people versus OJ um, or American horror story. Yeah. And she's always playing these like weird roles, so, like to get to see her just kind of be a person. I was like, this is really refreshing. I really enjoyed that. Uh, what about Definitely. you? Uh, I agree with all those. I thought Anne Hathaway probably stole every scene she was in, especially as the movie progressed. Magnetic. Um, yeah. She, yeah, she's electric in this. I mean, she's kind of been away from acting. A little bit, you know, with with pregnancy and whatnot, but um, and she also got like I thought like way too much shit for some of like her, her award show behavior, you know, like the past five years. Oh yeah, and it's like Anne Hathaway's been great for a long time. I mean, she won the Oscar in Les Mis, and that's kind of where the controversy started. But it's like I've always liked Anne Hathaway, and I, yeah. I never understood like the, the turn on her. But she she plays a compelling like foil to Debbie, and like. You know, once they flip it and she becomes the eighth member, as mm-hmm. you know, everyone probably saw coming, uh, I think it, it works well. And her character only grows and commands more of the scenes as the movie goes on. Yeah. It, and thinking about Anne Hathaway, I feel like she's almost been typecast at this point. Um, she, before she was like the, when she first started, you know, like, uh, was it Princess Diaries? Yep. Um, she was like the sweet, kind of nerdy girl who, you know, becomes a princess. But now she's become almost like the successful young person who is like jaded and yeah. kind of has like it's like just like Anne Hathaway be like the sweet like person she seems to be but maybe that actually fits her personality better behind the scenes who knows sure I don't know <laughs> um but yeah I thought she was great as well who else stood out to you uh I liked Aquafina. yeah uh she's kind of been she's actually it's funny she's a, like an underground like New York rapper mm-hmm. but she's also been picking up more and more film roles recently she'll be in a crazy rich Asians later this year and I, I thought she was good. I mean, actually, I, the, the character I thought was probably the least served was Mindy Kaling's character. Interesting. Um, just because I didn't think she had an, enough to do. I don't know. Like, in fact, her contribution to the heist is probably one of the most important. Mm-hmm. Yet, I don't know. I just maybe she, did she not have enough speaking roles? Perhaps I don't know. I just thought she was the most underserved. 
Yeah, you know, she was underserved, but I, the one I liked the least was actually Sandra Bullock as Debbie Ocean. Interesting. Um, I mean, I know that she's basically trying to fill George Clooney's shoes and, you know, trying to play Clooney is a near impossible role. Um, and I don't know if she was trying to, like, impersonate him per se, but just kind of give that, like, cool, calm, collected vibe. Obviously, it's Danny's sister. Um, I just, I felt like for someone like Sandra Bullock, who... You know, was able to to do so many things, check so many boxes to kind of almost like limit her in this. I thought the the scene that the scenes I liked her most in was when she was actually inside the Met Gala because she got to kind of walk around, she got to like do stuff instead of just like trying to deliver some one liners and kind of funny things. Um, but yeah, overall, I don't really have a lot of parts I didn't like. Did you think that this was a good script? Yeah, I mean, I actually, it's funny. I saw some comments about how, like the heist not working for some people. I actually really like the heist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as like zany and out there as the Ocean's Eleven heist, yeah. the one everyone remembers. So it's tough to compare it to that. But if anything, I, I thought was weak about the script. I thought the getting the gang together bit in the beginning where they recruit everyone. Maybe mm-hmm. I was, again I was comparing to Ocean's Eleven. I'm not sure, but I actually like that less than the heist and obviously getting the game together bits are always awesome so yeah yeah i thought the script was okay i think it could have been improved um some of the parts i I would have improved would have been um kind of her backstory with uh the was it claude was the the painter richard armitage yeah uh, thorin oakenshield from the hobbit yeah (laughs) i i thought that that was a little weak i also thought um that like the game the gang together scene was weak also the end when they each when they all get their money like the end of oceans 11 one of the most memorable scenes of them With standing the in front of that fountain mm-hmm. and they didn't really have that you know they're they're all yeah. hanging out then it felt a little rushed yeah and it just felt like it was relying too heavily on twist after twist like oh so uh Anne hathaway was part of this oh so there was actually two heists oh so th- there's yen like it was almost like they didn't really get a chance to like see the emotional weight of this group coming together which is kind of what they alluded to was like the important part of this is their relationship within it um but yeah i mean th- these are just little things it's, it was fun like i and the music was great uh very but similar james corden was good <laughs> yeah I liked I liked the conversation between James Corden and and Anne Hathaway, and he's like, "Some days I just love my job." <laughs> like, I was it really made me laugh when he said that. Um, yeah, what did you think about this not really having a villain? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, just when you think Anne Hathaway is gonna like play into that, it totally flips, and yep. Richard Armitage is the he's framed. It wasn't really a bad guy. If anything, he was just. Um, you know, the, the the a weasel, the piece of uh, Sandra Bullock's ire. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did like though was that in Ocean's Eleven, the heist is all about uh, Danny getting Julie Roberts getting Tess back, right? Right. But in this one, they flip it. It's all about <laughs> revenge. Uh, Debbie screwing over her ex, not yeah. getting him back. So I thought that was a, a yeah. nice flip. It's, it's but, a good yeah. juxtaposition, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Um, any last thoughts? Ocean's Nine? Oh, definitely. Come on. And, uh, and I'm excited for it, too. I want to so see who, that. So who would you cast in it? Obviously a woman. Tessa Thompson. Um, Carrie Coon. One of those two. Alicia Vikander. Any of them. Oh, God. 
if they put it so supposedly um let him play european you know right well apparently elizabeth banks was supposed to be attached to this so she would have fit yeah I, I feel like she could be a good addition maybe I, I don't really know was anyone in the linus role in this movie maybe they need a linus that's true they don't really have a linus so, maybe yeah. Anne hathaway could do that yeah uh, that that's a good point Anne hathaway might be perfect for that so We'll see. It'll be be really interesting, uh, and there's probably gonna be a, like a, a true villain for the next one, I'd imagine. So sure, um, it'll probably get a little a little more money to work with too. Definitely. So I'm looking forward to that. We have Incredibles next week. We have Jurassic World the week after. So a lot of big movies coming out, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about First Reformed yet or any of those little ones. So great film. I'm, I'm looking Reformed. forward. Go to Go see it. it. The trailer didn't entice me, but everything I've heard of a sense has been great so i'm looking forward to it any last thoughts for the people dave legion season two wraps up uh for us tomorrow by time most of you were listening to it today so we haven't checked in a legion in several weeks but we'll get to that obviously we're big fans of that show and then this week on the album front uh the fourth good friday release quote unquote is going to be this nas album nas isn't a good music artist but apparently Kanye did all the beats for him so 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 we're told we'll, we'll see the title for that or no singles so he yeah. tweeted that he's waking up early and working on it so good for him <laughs> and then j-rock's third album redemption drops obviously the tde uh rapper at the concert i went to for kendrick this week schoolboy q told me that his album is done that told me he told the crowd sorry <laughs> that that his album is coming after now nostalgia exclusive so that's cool and then also chromio back again with some uh some zany tunes and Christina Aguilera, whose singles have not been good, but no. just letting you know if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, you I, know. I checked out those singles, and I was like, ah, I'll pass on this one. It's but. like Gold Link. Got that check. Nice dog, but and Naga song. So a lot of stuff to look forward to. As always, we stay plugged in. We'll keep you plugged in. So subscribe to the channel, our iTunes, and our SoundCloud. We appreciate all your interactions with us at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, at Martin Swagger, and at Sheeting World Peace. Hit us up with what you want to hear us talk about and jump in the conversation. We want to hear from you what you think about Ocean's 8 or any of the music we talked about today. Peace out. Yeah.